you know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with, and don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Last week, I shared with you a live Q&A that I recorded from Workstop Camp, um, and that was just the first part of the Q&A because we did talk for well over an hour, uh, which is wine and cheese and so much fun and so much community and laughter, and I wanted to share that with you guys. So here's the second part. Enjoy. So the question has to do with... um, do you say yes or use praise or something like that and then have it not followed up by a reinforcer so for instance you're running a course dog hits his dog walk whatever you say yes but you keep running if you have trained the dog that yes means come eat food or yes means get a toy or yes means i have a reinforcer for you then you say yes out on course and don't give them anything Um, that does create problems. So we want to avoid that for sure. So we want to have a clear language surrounding our reinforcers. Yes. Well, something like the retreat. The dog went and got something and they're starting to bring it and you want to tell them, yes, I like that, but continue coming until you get here. So with something like the retrieve, so you threw a dumbbell, let's say the dog goes and gets it, the dog's halfway back and you want to say to them, and I don't know if we're talking about formal retrieve. Are we talking about play? Or are we talking about a formal retreat? About what training? Service start. Service start. So no, we're talking about formal retrieve. We're talking about bring me the keys. Do the, bring me the whatever. Yeah. So I still do not give the dog a verbal encourager because it doesn't exist in the language of learning. It exists in our human language. So it is just confusing to them in the long run. So if I'm breaking down retrieve, I train for competitive obedience, and if I'm breaking down retrieve, I will actually click different parts of the chain, but I expect the dog upon the click to spit the dumbbell out and come and, re- and come and 
get right. food. Now, it may be that I really enjoy doing this around traditional obedience people because it makes smoke come out of their ears and they get really <laughs> upset. But also, if you say, let's say the dog picks up the keys and is on their way back, there's a big difference between yes, which should mean food, which should mean spit out the keys and come eat food. And, oh, he's got the keys. Like, you know, we all are ridiculous with our dogs. And that's fine, but they can become reliant upon it. So if I were training a service dog for somebody else, I would actually try to minimize that stuff as much as possible so that it could be easily transferred to the dog's new handler. Versus like Felix and I, when we're playing, I'm always like singing to him and telling him he's the cutest and making stupid noises. And so then when he goes <laughs> to play with somebody else, he almost doesn't know how to. So it's not super transferable. So if I were training him for somebody else, I would really cut a lot of that stuff out. Other thoughts? Well, it's almost like a keep going signal, which yeah. we don't yeah. like. So, there's a, so in learning, you've got a keep going signal. You can give a signal that means keep doing that. That's right. Keep going. That's right. Keep, keep doing going. that. And they're trained the exact same way that we utilize praise, which is we just insert it before the marker, between the behavior and the marker. And it's kind of largely accepted as like just an unclean practice, not a very clear practice. So my friend Heidi likes to say, if it would get you killed with an orca, it's not a good idea. Right. Watch some wild animal trainers. And, and see, they that's don't, real. They're not doing all that chat. No, they're not. No. Because they're trying to be as clear as possible so they don't wind up in the bottom of the pool. Right. So you have a similar answer for like weaves, right? So weaves is the cue, not weave, go, go, you know, or. Well, now you're asking about continuous cueing. Continuous cueing is not the same as a keep going signal. You can use a cue that is given until the dog meets criteria. So like, let's say you say seek, seek, seek to mean wrap a wing and you continue making that noise seek, seek, seek until you would like the dog to stop wrapping a wing and keep going. So that's, that's just the difference in verbal cueing. You can always use a continuous cue that is given until the dog is finished. And then the stop, the cessation of the cue actually indicates that the behavior is done. But going weave and then going yeah, whatever exactly. it is, very different. Different. Very different. Like every two weaves saying weave and they will not keep going unless right. you. Versus like weave, 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 until the dog is done. But then if there's an absence of that, they should hypothetically stop. Yes. Right, for it to actually so be a continuous kind of building that in. Like, Leslie's dogs, their oh, yeah. weave cue shh. is shh. I can't do it. Every time I run one of her dogs, I'm like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, it's too hard. And they luckily are like used to it by now, and they're like, oh, yeah, Sarah just can't breathe. <laughs> but problematic for me so I try to not do it so if you want to know if you're doing one or the other stop doing it and see what happens you see what keep happens. moving stop pull your verbal out and yep. see that they go oh you didn't in queue six seven eight <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. 
just dropped a tennis ball and it appears as though I laid an egg tennis ball. I like your egg. Hold on, Mel first. Um, in context, this is an agility trial where we can't reward with toys or food or touch or anything but Anything, praise. yep. How do we handle, without completely destroying all the reinforcement here, uh, history, something like a blown contact? Because the consequence for the dog is the same, whether they do it right or they do it wrong in that moment. How do we, without a, a non-reward marker, how do we let them know that they did it wrong or right? So, I go back to, how do they know they did it right? Reinforcer. In a ring, what is the reinforcer? Go on. The next Jelly. thing. So you would advocate, take them off the course? Very dependent on the situation. Rarely would I advocate taking them off the course. Um, and it's surprising to people when I think it is best to do that. And when I think it's best to do that is very early in the dog's career, the second you see there's a problem. What people do instead is they let it go on for seven years. And then they start removing And then they start removing the dog from the course. And at this point, you have no hope. You have seven years of reinforcement history that you're fighting against. And um, you're not actually telling them they didn't do it right by using an NRM in the ring. So using a no reward marker, because they still got the reward. So if you went at, at but still gave a cookie in real life, kind of depends on how much they care about the aversive sound at, at right? Um, so if you're first starting out, everything is a test and you're just watching your behaviors. And if you're a little bit more than first starting out and you had good contacts and they start to fall apart, you need to start, you need to fix it. And it really should take like once or twice. If you do it early enough, you do it right away. But the answer is always observe and respond. Always re observe and respond, <laughs> but also train it to such a high level of fluency that you're not worried about it right. in the first place. So I think that's just information. For me, like my own, this is a context in the context of competition because they don't understand the behavior. Sure, but if it happened, yeah. So the Lori said, if my dog misses a contact in a competition setting. It's information to me that my dog doesn't understand what I was asking. That's true. What matters is what you do with that information. Because if what you do with that information is continue to run every run you have with contacts, contacts for the rest of the three-day trial, and then go to the trial you're entered in next weekend and not train a single day in between. You wouldn't do it the same. You would start saying, you target. <laughs> you target there. Wait. Wait. You know, we never just keep doing it. Lie down. Lie down, lie down. <laughs> I am a huge fan of the throw random words out. <laughs> Just to confuse, confuse her. Confuse them. And then they throw a stride in. <laughs> yeah. That's how I run ghosts. I'm like, ghost, you target. Or I'm like, hit the contact. I literally said, hit the contact. And she was like, what? Threw a foot in the yellow. Just throw them off their game a second. <laughs> but this came up at Synergy Camp. Um, one of the students had such a really nice way of saying this, because we, as trainers, we always say, failure is just information. And what we should say is, failure is just information for the trainer. 
because I think it gets misconstrued and people think that we mean it's information for the dog. That you use your NRM and you tell them that wasn't it. Pick up the ball. Pick up the ball. You take, yeah. Throw them back on that contact. Target. You. You have to. You have to target. <laughs> they don't have to. I think you guys have noticed. Graham? Yeah. Um, okay, so the end of run routine that we're doing yesterday. Mm hmm. End of run routine. Uh, how do they do with generalizing that behavior? Because we know the dogs aren't phenomenal at that. But say sometimes I'm grazing my car. Sometimes I'm grading behind the booth. Sometimes I'm in class and maybe not even grading. Yeah, um, so it's how well do they generalize the stashing, the end of run routine, run to the reinforcer. Tell them, because they're not going to hear that. That's a good question. What's what I just said? <laughs> he said. There you go. What about when he is creating in different areas and how well do they generalize the end of run routine when you're target location is so different. Did I not say that? No. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> you always do four, this to one, me. One, four. This is not just one. What? What do I always do to you? You're always like, no. <laughs> oh, I was wrong. <laughs> We have to do this weird U-turn every time we're going this special way. Stop. You want to answer Graham's question because you incapacitated me now? I think they're phenomenal at generalizing it if you set everything up the same way. So, like, I feel you on this because sometimes... I cue Oni to tug his leash, we tug out to the car or wherever I drop the toy, and I can drop the toy right outside the door, put it in the car, it all depends on the environment, I'm not going to have him go strike a toy <laughs> in somewhere that's not safe to do so. So I make sure that leading up to that, I'm predictable, so I would just, sh I show him where I put the toy, like maybe we play with it for a minute and then I say, that that's done with and then I show him where it is and then I don't change it after that weekend unless something's not going well. So you just vary it like you would with any sort of, because so, essentially that would, it's a duration. But the right? end, doesn't, it doesn't change until like where you're going. Right. That beginning, all those beginning steps are all yeah, the same. Yeah, but from the time you put on the leash to the time that they actually get reinforcement. So let me ask you this, Graham. If you put your food on the chair in the ring, but you put it in like the far left corner, but you showed a tie, it's here. Right. Don't you think you could go to the leash, put it on, and run to that chair? Yeah. 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 So if the only thing that changes is the location and you always show them where it is, you just have so that, they're fine. follow up to this question. Would doing a dry run of it be of any use to them in a trial? Meaning you didn't show them where the stuff no, was? Meaning we just run to this Meaning weird place. The, Practice jump, trial, go to the I thing. Go to the end, Great. And yes. show them where they're going to go to. Would that be of use to them in that situation? Yeah, you could, set, you could set it up at a trial to where you showed them where their reinforcers were okay. um, just by doing repetitions yeah. beforehand.
would be a good idea. Ha, <coughs> huh, Ashley. It's to add that at Finzi Camp, you did an exercise with someone with multiple stashes. Yes, I did. So it was follow me over here, follow me over here. Would that be useful for dogs who you say, let's go get your toy, and then they get frantic about where that is? So the question has to do with, at Fenzy Camp, I did a session with a person where I had multiple stashes in the ring. And the reason I did that was to help the dog work better without present reinforcers on the human's body. I would not actually do multiple stashes at a trial because I want them to be certain about where their stash is when they leave the ring. And that would be the same for, the, for obedience trials. I would have it on a chair. I would show the dog where it is, and we would go straight there. Versus what I did in that ring was about training the dog with less tangible reinforcers in his face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kim? I'll follow up to that as well around, I guess, location-specific end of run routine. Yeah. Because some locations will have access to a hose and a pool. Yeah. So there's a stash that happens immediately outside of the ring, which is food. Yeah. And then there's a hose and a pool. But there isn't always a hose and a pool present. So if I'm using the hose and the pool to reward, does that damage, does that then become problematic in places where that's not available? Sure, so yeah, so if you've got like bonus reinforcers available, like a hose in a pool, I, I don't see that affecting the stashing long term as long as you actually do keep the stashing present. So my dogs always get to do something, whether it's hose in the pool, go on a walk, if we're somewhere where there's running, where there's water, we'll go to the actual water. To me, that stays a separate event from the stashing. Yeah. And so then that's just like added fun with agility trials. Right. So as long as they're eating. So if they're yep. at the stash, the they're eating. Stash, oh, yeah. then we yep. can go to the pool. To the pool. But if you can't eat and you're dragging me to the pool, that's becomes. So, and that's up to you if you just let that happen that day and then go back to the drawing board on it. You might, but I like to see them go to the stash, eat their food, but then go to the pool because otherwise they're going to like they're going to just leave the ring and run to the pool. And to me, that's great and everything, but it's not something I have control over in training, so it's not a reinforcer that I want to continue to make more powerful. And make sure it's on cue. Right. Go to the pool, do a hand target, go swim. Swim, swim. That's what I say. <laughs> swim, swim. Swim, swim, swim. Leashes. <laughs> Leashes. Snacks. Candy. Boo. Alicia back there. Um, so, end of room protocol, but back it up a little bit. You just finished. Your dog's off leash, did a lot of jump. They like to bite things. Sure. Don't really like it to be me, or we have also destroyed these buckets of the leashes. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't really want her to bite the leash because then I feel like now we might need the run to go. You know, even though I try super hard to put everything on the most control, I don't feel like, you know, like I'm not perfect. Um, sure. So, what's a different, I was trying to think about this last night and I fall asleep. What is something else we could do that's, you know, a behavior? So you're basically, the question has to do with um, 
end of run behaviors, targeting the leash, having the dog go to the leash, but you don't want the dog to bite the leash, which there are numerous reasons for that. Like they're not allowed to in certain organizations. Your dog is Malinois, so maybe that's why you don't want her to bite the leash. It all has to do with fluency. It all has to do with looking at the leash and leashing up as a behavior, as a behavior that gets you to real reinforcers, which isn't the leash. So I need a behavior that gets us to the leash, stop, leash on. Right, but if you teach, so it's kind of like if you teach a station, so, if you, so the question, the continued question is, okay, so I need a behavior that gets the dog to the leash that isn't biting the leash. So it's the same with, you know, if you taught the dog to get up on a climb table, so a station table, you just teach them to go get on it. You just teach them to go station it. You don't expect it to be a problem that they will bite it. They could. It's not as fun to bite as a leash. But if you just shape it as a behavior, like it's a station, so just train them to target the leash in such a way that is not biting it, and that leads them to real reinforcement. Can I tell you what I do? Because my dog does bite a leash, but doesn't bite a leash ever after last jump. Because I don't want that either. Okay. So I never made it a thing that he clears the last jump and I say, get a, get a, get a leash. Which is where then they choose to like, take, not take the last jump and go steal the leash mm -hmm. off the table. I always, just from day one, put another behavior that predicts then I'm going to cue you to get the leash. So you're never getting it off the chair, you never do that. We go, we sit, we get a leash on, we get a harness on. He does a hand target, break him to leash. And I only use the leash to transport him then to an actual toy to play. And I just use the leash to transport him because he has the need to bite something and he will just bite me. He does this nice hug that's so fake. <laughs> he hugs me and he's like, <laughs> he just bites me instead. So if he needs to bite, so I try and say, okay, you need to bite. I respect that. I suck, you know, probably made five mistakes out there and that sucks for you. So you need to bite now. <laughs> so don't bite me. That this predicts then that you're gonna bite the leash and then what's even better is we're just gonna transport you over here, playing this fake game of tug on the leash to- To real toy. Stash toy which is equal to so much more fun and the real prize. So just make there be a behavior. Like some people do jump in your arms and then they send to the leash. But like put something in there that's like target me or do something else and then leash, but never get a, get a leash. I need to be a better You're doing you great. Will be after this weekend. Yes. <laughs> When, I, when he goes in the crate in my car, he, which he used to love, and I think he still loves being in there, but he just freaks out. Like he starts, as he's, he lays down, and I, when I go to close the crate, he goes cujo on me. I mean, he just, he just goes crazy. And, and I don't really know what to do, because what I started doing when it first came up is I would wait till he got in the crate, and I would give him some treats, and then while he was eating them, I could close the door. But it just, you know, it came kind of out of nowhere, and that seemed to work for a while, but now it doesn't really matter if I give him a reinforcer once he gets in the, in the crate. He still just, 
You just want to go crazy when I start to close the door, but the crate in my house is fine. Um, he's been through crate games and all kinds of crate training. He's never had any kind of crate problems, so I don't really know what to do or how to split it where... So, it, which crate? The one in the car. Just the one in the car? Yeah. After agility? After or is it any time? Actually, when he's, after he's uh, been through a run, he's more likely to want to get in on okay, It's usually when we're leaving the house. So, yeah, before he's had a lot of stimulation. So it's a very specific question about attacking the front of the crate yeah. when you close the door. Mm -hmm. I've known a lot of dogs that do that, actually, which mm -hmm. is funny. It's interesting. Um, we could speculate as to why. I do think using a close the door on them when they move procedure, which is outlined in crate games, right. um, is more likely to produce it frustration. than not because you're building frustration. Right. Um, but my first questions would be, you know, where can we find the split? Can the dog eat? Can the dog, you know, if the dog can't eat, can we... What happens if we don't close the door? I mean, there are, like, there are too many questions, but essentially you want to go, um, what am I doing? What's happening immediately after? Right. And, how, and then recognize that that is the reinforcer. You are, but you're also trying to train yeah. in that moment, yeah. and you're actually probably just feeding the behavior problem exactly. by putting all that, like, all that work yeah. and attention on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't outline for you exactly what I would do because that would take us a couple of hours. Um, but understand that you, you're probably feeding it right. by making it a thing. Right. Um, and also, I mean, I would personally just close it and throw food, even if the dog is losing it. Like, I would go, food, 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 click, food, food, and go start my car. And if he's like, oh, eating, eating, then he's still sometimes eating and not Cujo. And see if Cujo becomes less and less. Yes? Um, so, in today's toy um, section, you did, we started, you know, with a demonstration of the really great tugging. Mm -hmm. But I noticed, like, for many teams, we don't have tug. I mean, we have, mm -hmm. you know, like, food, you know, the, the ball or the retrieving. And so, I guess I wasn't sure, like, what do we take from that after today? Or what would your advice for us, those teams that don't have the tug, like, go out and get the tug? Or, I mean, what do we, where do we go? I, don't, I guess I'm not sure where so there's two possible answers based on what you're asking, but the, I got it. I'm gonna repeat the question right now. Just start answering it first and then repeat it in the middle. Yes, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Got it. <laughs> um, the question has to do with whether or not tug 
is relevant <laughs> or needed or what should we do? The demo dog for the toy session had really nice tug. Does that mean we need that? If we want that, where do we go? I am not a huge fan of insisting dogs play tug when they don't like it because usually they either don't like it because of just who they are as a dog or because of how you play or both. And so it's not something that I do to work super hard on making them like it. I like there to be a play scenario that can act as a reinforcer. And if it's tug, great. If it's throwing a ball, great. As long as there are clear parameters, they're fluent, and the dog continues to re-engage the play, meaning that they're restarting the play. Does that answer your question? Yes. Basically, you're not a loser if your dog doesn't tug, it's fine. And if you are upset that they don't tug and you want them to tug, then you're gonna go about teaching them to do so on things that are easy and fun to bite. So pay attention to what they actually like to bite. And then for several of the teams, we actually utilized the toy play they like to encourage better tugging. So like when Squeeze would actually pull on the toy, she would cue catch and throw the toy. But you've got, your timing's gotta be good to be successful on that because very, very often they start to pull and then they start to let go and then you realize they pulled and you say catch and now you're actually just reinforcing the spit even more. So, I mean, I'm fine with dogs that don't tug. I'm fine with dogs that don't chase a ball. I, I don't care as long as I have usable reinforcers for me. And typically they do fall into some spectrum of tugging mm -hmm. when you take making them uncomfortable out of the equation. So if you don't hit them and drag them off their feet and things that we think look like really fun puppy tugging practices and when we're teaching them, there's some dogs that hook into that because they get angry and bite the toy harder and then there's some dogs that say, yeah, that sucks. So take that out of your thing and take that out and do a lot of letting go and I think a lot of them just- Lots of letting go. They do like to actually engage if you give them the space to say, again, back to control as a reinforcer. What do you want to do? The Which reason way? that the hitting and the pushing that we see so often in um, agility circles and tugging is still so commonplace is because of the number of dogs who just get mad and tug harder. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it has reinforced the, all the humans. Also the humans who continue to perpetuate that as how we should train um, by dogs that just get angry and tug harder. So you know, it's a matter of having, to me, it's not about, it's a matter of having a usable toy system. It's not about a matter of having this or this or this play style. Yes, ma'am. So today we worked hard on a start line routine for Chris. Yeah. And we got her to go ahead and do um, the downs. We were leading out on Easter and I saw Ewok who we worked on the same thing with. Are there certain dogs when they're always anticipating the next thing that you have to randomize the start line because the next thing I see her is I'm going to walk out and now she's immediately going to go into a down before I release her and then scooch. <laughs> so how much we let them yeah. budge on that start line. 
Or do we just surprise them every time and say, this time's going to be a down, next time we're going to try to Or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so if we're using a start line routine in which we cue one behavior, then we release, a cue transfer will occur, meaning the dog will soon release when you say down, or they will down before you even set it. Um, in that case, to me, that's something else that's broken. Like the dog's not actually doing a stay because I let out and the dog lied down without me saying. Or if the dog releases when I say down, they don't understand the release cue versus the down. Um, so it's like a training problem outside of that. But yes, expect it, be ready for it, that will happen. And then, yeah, I would like to be able to lead out. If I look back and the dog is down, I'd like to be able to say sit and have the dog sit back up and then I release. So training it to that level of fluency that you can leave the dog on the line and cue different position changes on the line. Do you remember when I first told you to train that I and you were basically like, I hate you so much. I was just saying, <laughs> you think you can't do it right now, but you can. You literally were like, how am I supposed to train this dog to do sit down and stand 20 feet away? It wasn't even on the start line. You were just like, teach him to do this. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> and then you could. And then I did. And so you did. if I can do it, and then you can do it. Uh, yeah. Train them to expect that stuff. For sure. I think a lot of start line training is about teaching them to... They actually then do stay in position, surprisingly enough. Border collie that wants to just flatten... Flatten and crawl. I should just show... I wish we could just project Oni's like start line like six months ago as he's like... It's like herking, jerking so around. Bad. He was lying down and like... <laughs> you know, you've seen sinking, it. Just sinking, but he was also like this far off the ground at the same time. It was really weird. And... Teaching him more of a predictable routine has actually helped that. It's huge for him. I have a nose work question, actually. We started doing nose work maybe six, eight months ago as kind of a more autonomous thing that didn't involve me as much, right? Like she got to make a lot more of the choices, um, which has been very, very rewarding and highly successful. We recently started classes and in three classes, something has gone wrong, and I don't know what it is. And when we hit, I think, the third class, I started getting these crazy awkward behaviors. She's intensely frustrated. She's like, when she goes to do a nose target, I'm getting bit. Um, and I don't know how to tease it apart enough to know what's wrong, like where it went wrong. And I don't know if that matters. And so should I just instantly, when I notice the signs of frustration beginning, do I just end it and show her this is where it is and eliminate that source of frustration? Or if I am kind of caught up and confused in this because it's supposed to be the thing where the dog does it and you're not supposed to show them and then there's all these rules and it's stuff. And we haven't done a lot of classes. We've mostly just done it ourselves outside where it's been fun. So. What to do with it, but it has become in three classes intensely frustrating. Other classes that we have taken, it's had zero impact on. So we went to another class, she's like, No, this is the fucking bomb. I love doing this, I do my thing, it's great. And I'm like, Okay, so what has happened in this one location? And does it matter? Do I just eliminate that? 
So Jen in true Jen fashion just asked like a hundred questions. <laughs> so let me try to read. Because I don't know Sarah. I know. You're like, and then there's more. There's so much more. Oh so God. let me try to recap. Or do you want to? I can recap it. Okay, Casey, recap. I hope it makes more sense than what I said. <laughs> started taking nose work classes, loved nose work outside of class, class started frustration behaviors. And then what do we do? But what do we do? Other class very successful. Continues. Number one, you need to teach a start button for nose work. We have one. Number one, it's start great. button for nose work. We have it. It's good. In both places. In both places. And it's different than agility. Start button. Um, we haven't done agility in years. So yes. Okay. <laughs> but it's probably the same. It's like a, a, an eye contact and we actually connect. Do I She's not failing the start button. Start no. button. No. It's good. The start button is good. Probably, I would say the first 20 to 30 seconds are good. It's when she isn't perhaps successful. And I don't know, is it the building, is it the people, is it the stuff? Okay. I've but seen this too many times in nose work lately. Retest. Um, Anytime the dog is having a frustration spiral. Yes. Stop and soothe. Okay. Scatter pattern. Not good. Anytime the dog has a frustration spiral, you can do that as your response. Understand that that will not fix the problem long-term, but it will get you out of dodge in that moment. And if this is repeatedly happening, it is because there is a history, even if it's only like two classes deep, of the hides being too hard. So the way that we make nose work not frustrating is we make sure that the hides are never hard, too hard. So it's the same with when we're introducing puzzle toys. We make sure that they're easy enough that the dog can be successful, but still has to work every time. So do I soothe or should I just show her where the hide is? Don't show her where the hide is. Okay. You will absolutely train a pattern if you do that. Okay. Tell soothe. me where it is. Soothe. <laughs> leave the room. You need yeah. to soothe and leave the room and tell the instructor that hide is too hard. I need you to change it. And then have a conversation with the instructor and say, these hides are too hard. I need you to make sure that my dog will get it right every time. And you just slowly increase the difficulty rather than, I don't know why. This is, being, this is becoming a huge problem in nose work. And can I just state for the record that nose work should not be hard? Yeah, it shouldn't be hard. It should be fun, right? Like, that was the point of doing it. Dogs are born already know how, knowing how to do it. A hundred percent. This is not weave poles. Okay, this is dogs are born knowing how to do it. It shouldn't be hard. When people make it hard, I think it just falling back into the cultural fog that exists in dog training, which is that they have to be a little bit frustrated in order to really learn, and it's garbage. So the hides need to be easy enough for her to find every time, right away. She needs to be able to find them easily. What happens is the dog shows drive for the odor and then the trainer makes it really hard. And it's... That's not fun. Not fun. No, it's fucking terrible and you put my hand. <laughs> and then... It's not fun for anyone. All right, I have a follow-up suggestion. Does she have an all-clear signal? Does she have a... All-clear. No, what's that? Like... There are no hides. Blank room. No. Blank room. You need to teach that. So okay. Google. You're all done. Yes. Okay. Google all clear. Three is done. Okay. All clear signal. Yes, actually, probably we do, but not formalized. 
Yes, we need to do conversation. People in nose work, though. People in nose work are pretty upset about things like that. She needs to tell you. Yes. Plank room. Yes. Yeah. And no, we don't That's that it. No more. No. All right. You need that. Right. And then you need to, I think, develop a system of opting out. That's the piece that I was like, I don't know where it's gone wrong for her to say. Right. She needs to be able but to. I can watch her and I can see it. But, but are you also in a class that encourages you to watch body language to indicate the hides rather than the dog has a trained indication response? In theory, yes, but not necessarily. <laughs> Right. So again, like they're confused and they're frustrated. There needs to be more training and you need to yes. make sure this isn't that hard. Okay. okay, I'm gonna say to Rebecca that she should ask her question that she mentioned earlier because it's that so question? Yeah, because or whichever one you want to ask, but like we've done a bunch of off topic things, so if you are wanting to ask that question you can. regarding the fact that one of the dogs in the house is very excited by one of the other dogs in the house, in particular his barking. And that, so then she likes to bark and make him bark and then we're in a barking spiral. What are your thoughts, Casey Coughlin? No food. Throw food. <laughs> Can they but eat? I mean, that's <laughs> Ewok would become Jabba the Hutt, so. <laughs> 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 truthfully, though, truthfully, though, Rebecca, you have to avoid the situations in which it happens and then try to split for behavior that is not it when it's not happening. And you are in a hole, which means getting out of the hole Sucks. will require a ladder of reinforcement to get all the way out, and it's going to take you some time. And I've been in similar situations, and it involves a lot of management in, in the house to make sure it stops happening right now. Um, it's, so can I ask yeah. you for follow-up on the management? Because, I mean, the, you know, controlling when it happens is literally like we exist in the house. You know what I mean? Like it's watching not, TV and it's happening? Oh, yeah. Then how come Jewel? Okay, so anytime there's nuisance behaviors in a home during downtime. And then that excites Ewok, which then excites Jewel. And then, I mean, that's 
I'm still gonna say for food. You also did a thing. You also did a thing, Rebecca, where you got a border collie in a house of non-border collies. Such a problem. This happens every single time someone does that. The border collie goes, sweet, I can control the civilians and here's how. Like that, I mean, that's just how they are. They're ridiculous. And so when it's all border collies, they're all just like, yeah, I hate you too. And they're all pushing against, they're all. And then they're like, hey, do you want to run really fast? Sweet, and not touch each other? Great, let's go do that. Like they, that's what they go do. And when, and noise makes them insane. I mean, they're just, She's trying to control, Julia Border Collie is trying to control her environment as best as she possibly can. So I would not actually, Dave will love this, try to control Jewel at all. I would ask, I would address Zach's alarm barking, number one. And then I would address Ewok's response to it, number two. I mean, this is what you have to do. You have to go, when is this a real problem? Because I'm going to guess it's not a problem, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, is it a problem if um, Zach and Ewok are both asleep? Is, is it a problem for Jewel if Zach and Ewok are asleep? No. Is this problem that you're talking about a problem if they're asleep? Does she instigate no. The answer is no, which means there's your split. Is it a problem if they're both lying on dog beds, being fed intermittently, for lying on dog beds? Probably not. No. <laughs> right? Well, I'm, I'm going to say maybe. <laughs> because maybe his ewok will start getting over aroused. Then it's, that's not what I'm asking about. I'm asking yeah. about him relaxing on a bed. Oh, him relaxing. And he's not doing that. <laughs> so again, this isn't Jules' problem. This is that you're, this is that there's too much chaos for her to, for her to deal with. And so that's how she's responding to it. And she's a little more vocal than, that's her breeding though. You bought her that way. <laughs> so where is she from? You notice I don't have a dog from that kennel. I'll tell you later, not on the air. So, All right. So how do, you, how do you address the alarm barking? So we can go back to- yeah. All right, I teach this class on Fenzie called Fix It. Take that. There's going to be an alarm barker. Also throw food. How do you fix alarm barking? Throw food. How do you fix car chasing? Throw food. How do you? Look at Chan. I have a follow-up question to Rebecca's for on the trail when we're decompressing. Oh God. This is when we're decompressing in quotations. Casey's on it. Throw food. She's answered so many times. Dave, the non-border collie, the dog. On leash. Dave the dog. Yeah. <laughs> Not the husband. Not, Not Rebecca's husband. annoying dart in and try to make the other dog run yeah. or garbage and Dave is doing that I'm really passive wait for it 
Wait for it. What's the answer? Girlhood. <laughs> it's for Dave. And guess what? Makes she will eventually. And it makes him not fun. Like, now he's yeah. eating food and saying so. Okay. <gasps> when you can control. <laughs> so always, always manipulate the environment, not the dog, whenever possible. The problem dog is Polly charging in on Dave. Manipulate Dave to be non-reinforcing in that situation. By throwing food. If he's he sniffing and she's darting in and screaming at him. See, the dogs that love food are great. Cling to those dogs. I know. Breathe them. Forever. Breathe them. I thought he was a border collie, but apparently he is not a border If anyone has a bitch that eats, I want to know her. So come to me. With she's that. talking about border collies. I don't have this problem. Hey. <laughs> so what do you do with, I'm asking that, that alarm barking because Solstice, not surprisingly, loves to alarm bark at whatever critter is walking outside our home at 2 in the morning or 1 in the morning and we leap up and jump onto me or my partner and alarm bark and then throw ourselves against the window and then, I mean, and, and it's like, dude, what the... You haven't killed this dog yet? <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been hard. It's hard. I say that with love. I know. The question is really just alarm, alarm barking is a startle response. Yeah. yeah. And you need to soothe it. You need to reduce the startle response overall, which might mean addressing overall anxiety. If you have a heightened startle response, you probably have a heightened anxiety response during the day. So if anxiety is on a scale of like 0 to 10 and 0 is your sleep, not having a dream about bees, <laughs> etc. Or crashing in an airplane. Or airplanes, or being in a sinking car. Just go for the window every single time. And just go for the window. Straight yes. window, window. Um, <laughs> now, <laughs> so a normal functioning being is operating at like a three on the anxiety scale. At any given moment. Yeah. A dog or a person that has an anxiety disorder is operating at a five or a six at any given moment. Now, a person who's a three might get shot into a five or a six by something that's difficult to tolerate. But they're still functional because a five or a six still looks pretty functional, still looks about as functional as a three. But the problem is that if you're operating at a five or a six, the thing that causes the three to be a five or a six causes you to be a seven or an eight, which is a panic attack. So what is true for a lot of our dogs and ourselves, maybe, um, is that we're operating at a higher anxiety level than normal. And so our startle response is too high. Um, and that should be addressed from the from the ground up. It should be addressed from a behavioral wellness standpoint. Maybe a medical, med maybe a pharmaceutical standpoint. Um, because my other two dogs in the house, the other two border collies, just look at him like, shut the fuck up. We are yeah. sleeping. I mean, nobody else, like, they all just are like, oh, shut up. And he's like throwing himself yeah. around. 
So, a behavioral wellness standpoint, meaning looking at his nutrition, looking at his exercise needs, looking at your communication with him, um, making sure that he's actually sleeping. So a lot of high anxiety dogs are sleep deprived, chronically. How will I assess that? Do you see him twitching on the floor? Have you ever seen him in REM sleep? The fact that you're thinking really hard. Well, because he usually sleeps like this. <laughs> you can still see it. You can still see it. You should still be twitching. You should see REM sleep every day. Um, I've had people put bells on their dogs overnight so that they know for sure how much the dogs are up during the night. They should pretty much be sleeping like 17 hours a day. Also me. <laughs> or a Fit Hell Bark. Yeah. There's a new product. They're what? Fit Bark. <laughs> Monitors activity. We can make it. And of course, it does. We can make that. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Okay. So, you know, it's just things to look at. I'm a big fan of better living through pharmaceuticals, too. So. Me, too. I have no problem. You could definitely talk to somebody about that. Can what you're talking about. Um, All right, reinforcement question. Do you ever, um, is there a way to allow the dog to choose the reinforcer they most like? Like a marker that means take the thing you like? The best, whether it's food or toys or the tunnel or whatever. Like, I'm asking you to do a bunch of stuff because I like to do it. Do the thing that you like to bet. Like, pay yourself with what you want to be paid with. So the question is, is there a way to tell the dog to take the thing they like the best? And if, yeah, there is. I mean, you could train that as a signal. I think that most of us would be better to spend our time just being really clear on all of our other systems because it isn't as easy to teach as a very clear concept to them. The take, take whatever kind of marker. I, I, I guess the... the the thought behind it is really more about um, the comfort we have with assigning value to them and what they like, right? So you like food, you like the toy, you like the thing, so do the thing. I'm gonna pay you with what you need to be paid with for the challenge that I'm asking you to deal with. Whether yeah. that's sort of in behavior stuff or agility stuff, like I'm gonna ask you to do something incrementally harder, I'm gonna ask you to do something to cope with something that's going on in the environment, um, and then I'm going to pay you with what I think that actually earned you. How about you tell me what you need to be paid with? Mm, man, what a lovely idea. I think they do. Yeah. I think they do tell us. We're just not paying attention. Yeah. So how do we know what they like the best? Well, did they bring the toy right back and shove it right back at us? Mm -hmm. That's them saying again, 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 right? Do they eat the food, swallow, like not continue sniffing, but like eat the food, bounce back to work, say yes, let's keep going. Like we can tell what's making it worth their while if we actually just pay attention to their behavior. You're right, if we just go chicken should be an A plus, but then you see that they're not acting like it's an A plus, that's your information. Right. Observe and respond. Observe and respond. Chicken is an A plus 
grow food and then you also need to cling to what reinforcers are usable for you as well. And do not build any more value into your reinforcers that are not usable for you, like a tunnel. A hose could be used. Totally. Put a cue on that. My dog freaking loves the hose. Yes, ma'am. That's a great it's not a different topic, but we've done a lot of marker discrimination this week. Yeah. And I was thinking about food robots. So how do you treat the food robot different than like the dish, or do you have a cue for it, or do you let it be the cue because it makes so much obnoxious noise? It has a built-in one. So the question is, we've done marker discrimination. How do you deal with a food robot? Do you have a different cue for the food robot? And the answer is you don't need one because it has its own. So it beeps or it grinds its gears like it it already has one so if you layer another cue on top of the robot you're actually just like muddying up signals so just let let the robot stand alone with its own signals and why do dogs love robots why do dog lo dogs love robots they never lie Manners minder lies sometimes. <laughs> and then, no, but then your human runs over there and is like, oh God, and gives you the food. <laughs> yeah, and then your dog is open to robot and is eating. And then he wins still, so it's fine. Still fine. Still produced food. Graham, did you have a question? No, I was hitting the robot. No, you were <laughs> He was not hitting raising his hand. He was hitting the robot. Yeah, Rebecca. Of why you're wanting to do all these verbals, I'm having two problems. One, keeping track of and naming all these different things. Hashtag one my dog. And, <laughs> and, and the second one is because I think we, um, so the part of our brain that does verbal and the part of our brain that does physical. I'm an instructor, it's okay. So I'm finding that trying to use verbals is getting the, in the way of my ability to be fluid physically. Do you have any suggestions or comments on that? So Rebecca's basically saying, what the F with all these verbals? <laughs> and I'm going to say that we, the most important place for you to use very clear verbal cues is in your markers. You don't necessarily need to say anything running the course. Here's the, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Wait, look. Listen. If every time you want him to strike the toy, you presented it exactly the same way, you'd be doing the same thing as what you're doing in agility. You just have your physical cues at working in agility. But we just can't be consistent. That's why we need verbals for toys, because we cannot be allowed to. People with toys that are working for them really well that don't subscribe to this whole system, it's because they're super, super freaking predictable with them. They're carrying it a certain way, and when you can strike it, boop, it looks like this. Okay. Never other, never, a no robot. other time does it look like this. They're just a quiet one. Right? But yes, it will blow your mind, because you were told that you didn't need to say anything. And I don't say anything really else on course besides cueing contacts or weed poles, right? I don't say jump, 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 go jump, go do this, blah, 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 whatever, left, right. But also she was asking about, is there any truth to the fact that when I'm trying to think about saying the right words, I can't also make my body do the right thing? There is truth to that, but it is 
still just a learned skill. And with the markers, I would say just decide that you're going to utilize verbals there. Teach yourself there. Right. And then you don't need to be necessarily doing... I think it's because you're worrying about both at you the same time both, that you're reaching in your point. pocket at the same time as you're saying yes. You can be really great at markers and mechanics and toy skills with verbals and also run your course and not say anything but target and whatever. Right. You can do both because that's, I do both. He doesn't have a left and a right and an out and a whatever. I wish sometimes that he did. <laughs> but he doesn't. And I can still remember... And also do whatever works for you, because if it works better for you to show him a cookie and throw it, than to say get it and throw it. Exactly. Then do Still that. a consistent, clear system. It just needs to be clear. It doesn't matter what it is. I think the marker signals help you be consistent, right? Because you're like... Because we like rules. The yeah. marker signal like rules. signals do help us be consistent because we like rules, and we like control just like they do, right? All right, I think we're gonna wrap on that. Thanks for this Q&A, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to CogDog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the CogDog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!